0: It takes a bit of a blend of art and science to get baking just right. And having extra eyes, ears, and hands can make a big difference along the way. That's where AB Maori North America comes into play. We're the team behind industrial and artisan bakers that help optimize success. We'll discuss more on this episode of The Oven Light. So let's get going. Flip the switch. Welcome back, everybody, for The Oven Light. Can you believe it? The switch is on. Welcome to The Oven Light. Today, we've got a great guest and a celebrity, and I call this gentleman a friend, and we're going to really cover some interesting ground. We're going to talk about baking. We're going to talk about lifestyle and music, even beer consumption. So we've got a great show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome our special guest, Michael Bluestein from the band Foreigner.
1: Rick. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, man.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this for a while and so thrilled that you can join us from California and be on the show. And you know enough about the show that The Oven Light kind of gives you the idea that we're going to talk baking a little bit and we're going to touch on that. We're coming hard hitting right off the bat. I mean, this is boom. What's your favorite baked good?
1: Ooh, favorite baked good. Man, I guess I'm a little bit old school and boring in that sense that like just a nice warm chocolate chip cookie you know maybe with like some oatmeal in there and you know fresh just great chocolate chips and done like nice and soft you know but not home style home style right that's home style right exactly okay you know it's it's funny because we've got those tates are you familiar with tates those chocolate oh i mean like you know that's not soft those are they're pretty crispy but they're amazing. I mean, it's not the home style, but I have to say for consistency, for something that you can get in a package, grocery store, those are pretty amazing.
0: That's awesome. So you travel the globe and I guess, you know, maybe we'll touch on it. If if people don't know the history of the band Foreigner, right? That It's an interesting name. Do you want to give a little snapshot on how the name kind of came to be?
1: Well, yeah, we, do, we talked about it a little bit before. And so it was a mixed band meaning international so basically half the band was british and half the band was american actually more than half was british they came up with this name because no matter where they would be anywhere somebody in the band would be a foreigner you know and it it just sort of it stuck you know it it was basically mick jones had moved he's a british guy the guy that formed the band he had moved to new york city in the late 70s after a career as a sideman, backing a lot of artists in Paris. He lived in Paris for a while in the 60s, you know, rubbing elbows with Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and worked with some French artists. This, this guy, Johnny Halliday, who was sort of the, considered the French Elvis, is how they talk about him. Anyway, Mick played guitar with him. You know, Mick was getting, I guess, pretty close to 30 years old at that point. It was like, hey, if I'm going to do my own thing, it's kind of now or never. As we know, pop and rock are generally a youth-driven enterprise you know and he felt like the clock was ticking and he got to new york formed a band he had some brits alongside of him dennis elliott another british guy on drums ian mcdonald who was one of the founders of king crimson legendary kind of art rock band for lack of a better description and then he had some american guys of course lou graham the incredible singer from rochester new york and al greenwood was a new york guy too on keyboards and so you see pretty split up with the Americans and the Brits. And he formed this band in New York City. And, you know, I've gotten a chance to hear how it all went down, you know, talking to Al, the original keyboard player. And like, I guess those guys were holed up in a rehearsal studio. And Al said, you know, not much was going on. We were kind of jamming on some blues. And Al was saying he was getting ready to bail. He said, you know, like, we're, we're just jamming on blues. We're hanging out, you know, nothing's really happening. We don't really have any songs. One day, Mick Jones brought in Feels Like the First Time. He had this song, and Al heard that. He said, oh, okay, I think we got something now. And sure enough, they had something. You know, that was 76 when they were rehearsing that and getting that song together. 77, it came out, and then, as they say, the rest is history because it feels like the first time, you know, blew up. And that first album blew up and Warner was officially on the map at that point.
0: That's incredible. I mean, we're going back almost 50 years, if you can believe it. But, you know, the band is toured. I, I don't know how you do it with probably, what, maybe 100 tour dates a year. I mean, it feels like you guys get around. And no matter where you go, you, you are kind of a Foreigner as an American. So let me ask you this. Do you ever stop into some of these cool locations, foreign locations? Come on, you have to stop into a little coffee shop or a little bakery. Is there something, do you have an interesting story, whether it's, music-related, or something you had, you're like, man, that was unbelievable. What a great experience. And it revolved around, you know, a breakfast bakery little shop or a coffee shop.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I I do like to go local wherever we are. Of course, there's Starbucks everywhere. But if I can help it, I'll avoid a Starbucks and try to find something that's more just a neighborhood kind of place. And that that goes for the the states, you know, wherever I am, you know, or in Iowa somewhere, you know, Des Moines or just any sort of smaller town, you know, wherever wh- we are, I just, I- I'd like to, I just want to get a flavor of the people. there. not necessarily a chain store. You know, if I can help of course Starbucks or everywhere, and if you need them, it's great, but I've met some great people. You know, I do have an amazing story in uh, Syracuse, New York. There is a place called Funkin' Waffles, sort of a play on the old, uh, was it Encyclopedia Funkin Wagnols?
0: Funkin I we had them as a family. We we didn't have Encyclopedia Britannica. We had Funkin wags
1: <laughs> So you got it. Yeah. If yeah. You, if we're of, if you're of a certain age, you you get that. Of course, it, it hard book encyclopedias are kind of a thing of the past. I know.
0: Thanks look, for look, making me feel old, by the way, Michael. oh yeah. appreciate well, that, buddy. Well, look at the yeah. gray. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> that would be the pot <laughs> calling the kettle black. But <laughs> if it were me, yeah. That, it was me saying that because I think I got a few years on you. But anyway, uh, so I stopped in Syracuse in this place called Funkin' Waffles. And it was such a cool place. You know, obviously, they were serving up waffles. That was the specialty of the place. But then they had all these old 70s kind of Funkin' Jazz albums on the wall. George Benson, Miles Davis. You know, the Gap Band, you know, Herbie Hancock, Ohio Players, you know, all this kind of classic soul from the 70s and then sort of the jazzier side of things, too. And they were playing that music. And I'm a huge fan of of 70s funk and soul. And I'm a big jazz guy, too. So I was like at home eating this delicious waffle and, and listening to this great tunes and this funky, you know, as in the name, Funkin' Waffles is really kind of funky, cool place. And I talked to the guy behind the counter and he was real friendly and we started talking. It turned out he was a keyboard player too. And it was his place. He had opened this place. It was his concept. I'm going to open this place called Funkin' Waffles. He loved, you know, funk and soul keys and jazz and everything. He was a keyboard player. This was a side business that he had opened. And it turned out he had all these keyboards at his house. And we started talking. I was like, yeah, I'm here with Foreigner. We're going to be playing. He's like, Dude, we should hang out and jam a little bit. And I said, <laughs> hell yeah. And so, next thing I knew that evening, Well, actually, he stopped by my hotel. Downhill picked me up. I ended up at his house with Hammond B 3 organs and clavinets and Fender Rhodes and Wurlitzer pianos and Mini Moog synthesizers and all this stuff from 70s funk and soul and rock and Ray Charles and all that stuff. And We ended up playing together and jamming, and he actually had a little keyboard that I wanted, that he had an extra one. I bought it from him right there, and I used it. The next night at the foreigner show, he came as a guest and he got to hear me play the keyboard that I bought from him when we were jamming that (laughs) afternoon. That's one of the
0: better stories, I think. Don't you think it's like, it's really powerful, like these little moments in time, or, you know, just by putting yourself out there or talking to somebody or having a conversation, it's amazing where things can lead. I mean, it's the same way. I'm going to talk a little bit more about beer and we kind of met under maybe similar circumstances, but you touched on kind of your early love of music and funk and all that, but, and you've had a heck of a journey as a musician. You know, how did you kind of define where you're going? I mean, you know, here's a guy that went to Cal Berkeley. If I recall, you're from Boston you went to the Berkeley College of Music, you, you study a lot of classical stuff, and now you're in like one of the top rated rock bands of all time. Pretty cool.
1: It was a really, uh, what's the word? serpentine, you know, kind of like it's not a straight path. Yeah,
0: that's
1: I, it. I feel like when I think about the musical path, it was far from linear. It hasn't been linear, you know. <laughs> There's been a lot of twists and turns and and I guess it's a bit cliche, but I've just kind of gone where the music has taken me and, you know, the opportunities when you're getting into a life and a career in music, the word on the street or the conventional, the wisdom is, you know, you take the opportunities that come to you because, you know, they may not always be there and, and it's a tough field and it's a tough road and so I was kind of a jazz nerd, jazz piano nerd in, in college at Berkeley College of Music and was really into that. But, you know, I always loved rock and pop, too. I grew up in, you know, as a kid in the 70s, classic rock and all the like Farner and everything else, The Who, Zeppelin. I was a normal kid in that way. I listened to all that stuff, you know, Pink Floyd and everything. And then, of course, got into bands like Steely Dan and crossed over sort of more jazzy side. But yeah, so, I mean, I really focused in on jazz because I love that music, but I was always a rock and pop guy, too because that was yeah that was just the music of the time so fast forward coming out of berkeley you know moved to san francisco and was really active on the scene there a lot of you know just a lot of local playing leading my own group you know backing up singers playing in jam bands and touring around in a van, you know, just kind of doing the the sort of paying your dues, sort of gigs that you do. And but, you know, working a lot and San Francisco in the nineties was a really fertile time for original music and for jazzy stuff. And so I got involved in a lot of projects and kept really busy and kind of did well there. And then made my way to LA in the early two thousands and then Suddenly this world that wasn't open to me in San Francisco became open. There were auditions for big acts started coming my way. You know, I did some kind of more pop touring, played with an artist named Anastasia who is American, but not really big in America, but was huge in Europe for a while. And I got on a tour with her, a few tours with her in 2005, 2006. And that kind of got me on the map as a touring keyboard guy. And so I, kind of one thing led to the other. So the whole thing was that the rock and pop world just opened up to me being in LA. I mean, it's just, you know, all those opportunities that if I had, I stayed in San Francisco or even, you know, Boston or a bigger city, but, you know, LA is a real industry center. It's where a lot of tours launch from here. You know, it's, it's really, you know, LA, New York, or nashville you really kind of have to be in still for those sort of bigger touring artists or th- those are the places to be so yeah so that that world opened up to me and i just went with it you know i mean i was a chance to see the world. income wise it was a step up from playing you know hundred dollar jazz and hotels and stuff you know so again a path that took me through different styles and different worlds and kind of and i've just kind of gone where the opportunities have been
0: that's awesome and and I'll give a little plug here because if if you follow foreigner you can hop online and see it at foreigneronline.com but this is the historic farewell tour starts July 6th in Atlanta goes all the way to early September in New Jersey makes a nice stop in St. Louis on July 19th so I hope to see it but I found this cool little thing here it's a foreigner album signed by Lou Graham but it's got all the all the great stuff like a jukebox and and obviously you know a jukebox hero is on this I'm calling this episode of the oven light the bread box hero so you're our our bread box (laughs) hero but you know things like cold as ice double vision head games urgent is is probably my particular favorite but is it kind of tough is it kind of am i asking you if you have a favorite child when i say hey what's your favorite song or is there one that maybe you like because you get a chance to highlight your capabilities and your keyboard prowess if you will
1: well, I would say actually, I'm on board with you with urgent right now because I get to I get a featured solo now on that. Nice. Some of your listeners may or may not know what a keytar is, but if they yeah. don't, yeah, what is that? So a keytar is very literally just like the name suggests; it's a keyboard and it's a, a guitar. So hence okay. the name keytar. And it's worn; it's a keyboard that's worn like a guitar. So I have a strap you know, that goes over my shoulders and I can, I'm mobile like guitar players are. You know, one thing as a keyboard player that's kind of a drag is that generally you're stuck behind the keyboards. They're not generally movable. So you've seen the show, Rick, and you know, I'm up on a riser and I'm sort of, I'm planted there. I can move around and dance around and stuff, wave my arms and everything, but I'm not running around like the rest of the guys. So I've always been a little jealous of that, truthfully. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, I was finally vindicated as I was given the opportunity to do the we had a saxophone player for a very long time but we don't right. have a saxophone player now and so the saxophone solo on urgent is now a guitar solo so i get to play that solo on the guitar and run around like a madman it's yeah.
0: an iconic solo i mean it really is of yeah of, of rock music it really is classic
1: it really is and i i'd like to feel like i do it justice you know i, I really i pay tribute to it and quote the whole thing for the most part. You know, I mean, I do the whole solo pretty much note for note, and then the solo gets extended a little bit, at which point I get to kind of put my own flavor on there for a bit, for a few bars. So it's sort of the best of both worlds there. The fans get to hear that, as you said, iconic solo that everyone knows. No, Junior Walker, the great uh, tenor saxophone player, Speaking of soul and funk, that's where he came from, that whole soul world. And uh, he, he was the featured saxophonist on the original recording of Urgent. So I'm actually so I am playing his solo. But then again, with a little bit of improv at the end for me.
0: Well, thanks for the education on the keytar for the folks that get a chance to see in concert. They'll now be a little bit better prepared for, for what they see. So Blue is I hope we can call you Blue with the name of Blue Stein. You got a little blue sky out there right now in terms of like music. And you're playing a lot with, you know, I've, I've met your girlfriend and she is is awesome. Tina, and you guys have a little little gig called Tina Blue, and I've seen it, I've heard it, it's fantastic. Well, we actually, so Tina and I have
1: been together around four years now, and pretty quickly, I discovered that she had a lovely singing voice, and at the time, when we met, she was actually not doing a lot of singing. She has a background. She studied classical. She's a classical, like a soprano, you know, and studied opera and classical music at the university, but then kind of just discovered for herself that that wasn't really her calling, her path to do classical music. So at the time she stopped that program and just didn't really regroup into any other music for a while. You know, she she works in events. Her career is her family business, promotes events and, and does band booking and that sort of thing. And so she's been a part of the family business and still is. But I quickly discovered that she had a great singing voice and I love harmonizing and singing. I'm a singer as well. So we started harmonizing pretty quickly when we were hanging out and, and I just thought, you know, we, we've got to do something here. And I've also, played guitar for a while. And it was a skill that I wanted to fine tune more and get better at. And I thought, okay, well, this is a great opportunity. Why don't we form a duo and I'll just play mostly guitar in the duo and we'll harmonize on things and you'll be featured. It'll be mostly her featured on vocals, but I'll, we, we harmonize a lot. And that's how it was formed. And so during the pandemic, as we all know, there was very little live music, if any. We were here in LA in my studio, my music studio downtown. And I learned how to live stream we've got a bunch of uh, webcams i have a pro audio setup of course that's kind of required these days as a musician so you know i have a lot of microphones and good setup so we just figured out we learned how to live stream i learned this software program obs which is pretty powerful and lets you feed all your audio and video in and put it out into the world through either youtube live or twitch or facebook live any of those platforms and so yeah so we started doing these live streams and that's what you saw the other day on facebook and we started doing that but then we also found a place downstairs actually literally below us in the building there's a bar that does live music and it's the best load in that you could ever imagine we literally load up a, a cart full of our gear and get into the elevator in the hallway and go downstairs and do our gig we <laughs> can't have...
0: beat that so how can people find out more about tina blue
1: yes yeah, so the website is tina blue but you know you can find on instagram tina blue Tina Blue LA on Instagram and then Spotify and Apple Music. We've all our stuff's up there. All the songs that we've released. We've done some kind of cool covers. We did Paint It Black by the Stones, kind of did our own version of that. Daydream Believer by the Monkees. We have a kind of a cool version of that that we've worked up. We have some original tunes of ours. Yeah, it's been a lot of
0: fun. Cool. Well, TinaBlueLA.com, I checked it's it's working great it looks good so check thank it you
1: thank you for, for confirming that
0: no problems all right let's let's give you a couple rapid fire questions we'll call it the hot pan what was your first album do you remember the who live at leeds i saw him last year i've seen him three times and it's just oh. it's powerful right i mean okay here's number two have you ever met a musician right you've met a lot in your days and your travels but have you ever met one that you're just kind of like almost starstruck or tongue-tied I
1: would say Herbie Hancock's a guy that did that to me. I, I was in a band in San Francisco. We opened for him, Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters. And he's one of those, he's one of my heroes. I mean, a lot of people don't know, you know, they maybe know him from Rocket, that hit he had in the 80s. Oh, but yeah, that <laughs> was big was,
0: in, in high school for me, you know, yeah, that. that was he, before
1: so. that, in the 60s and 70s, he was a jazz and funk pioneer. He's one of my heroes. So I got to to meet him and I was in a band that opened for him. So that, that was one I had. I haven't met Donald Fagan of Steely Dan, but I think I'd be pretty tongue-tied if I met him too. That's pretty
0: cool. All right, let me ask you this question three. If you were not a keyboard player and you weren't doing what you did, your profession of professional musician, what would you be doing? What do you think? Pro tennis player. I really? Mean, not, no, I mean I. I <laughs> but that that would would
1: assume that I had the talent and the athleticism. That would be a dream thing. I love tennis. I've always been a big fan. And I watch, you know, those monster players like Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, you know, Andy Murray, all those guys. And I'm just like, I just think those guys are just the athleticism and the precision that goes involved in that. It goes into that sport has always just blown me away. That'd be a dream job to be able to, to go toe-to-toe with one of them. It's, it ain't ever gonna happen, but <laughs> it would
0: be What about pickleball? Pickleball seems to be taking over the country. Is that something you're interested in or Dude, not? I'm
1: so interested in I've seen some videos of it. I've been hearing about it. And like you said, it's all the rage. I'm dying to play. I wanna get out there. Any like paddle sports, I always played. I was, I was in the, this sounds really pretentious. I was in the table tennis club in high school, <laughs> <you know? laughs> which as we know, table tennis is ping pong, but it sounds well fancy when you say table tennis. So, yeah, I was really, I've always been into racket sports. I've always, that's like my favorite. That's cool.
0: So let's talk about, we kind of teased it earlier, right? Just like these moments or collisions or where you get a chance to meet somebody and the way Michael, you're like, why are we on a baking program here and we're talking to the musician from foreigner right who, who's who got a lot of background but we do have a shared background because we have a love of one thing beer oh, and oh, yeah. uh, it's interesting it goes back a few years ago and i'll describe it and let you kind of give the color on it is you and a and, uh, fellow lead guitarist for the band a guy named bruce watson and there's another bruce watson out there too but bruce watson from foreigner you guys are big into beer and you had a program called vib which is very important beer instead of vip and we got a chance to meet at the St. Louis one. And it was just one of those opportunities. And we've kind of connected since then. So tell me about this, like love of beer and passion. And certainly when you travel the globe, well, you see a lot of beer. Oh, man, absolutely. We go to Germany a
1: lot. I mean, I would say that that's the country in Europe that we spend the most time in. As you know, Rick, you and I have talked about it. I mean, they do the Pilsner's right there. You know, I mean, it's just, there's nothing like a German Pilsner. As we know, a lot of American brewers have tried and failed to do a really good Pilsner. From the time I was, my, my dad would let me take sips of his beer, you know, when I was a 10, 11, 12, you know, I'd be like, Dad, give me a sip. You know, of course he'd be drinking something awful like Schlitz or Brow, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> but, but even then, when I was a kid, I liked I like it. Like, I just, like, I always just had a taste for it. Even, you know, it was obviously long before I was really drinking and long before I had any idea what a good, craft beer was or anything but yeah i just always loved the flavor of it and you know as i started traveling the world more i kind of was exposed to great beer but you know i didn't even being in the in san francisco in the 90s you know the craft beer thing was starting as you know sierra nevada was uh, the first one right i think yeah you know, chico one, one and of the big so ones that, yep. yeah one of the big ones You know, that was proliferating you know, that was all over the place you know sierra nevada in san francisco that was just a really big beer and that's a real you know that's a solid pale ale right there. So I just, yeah, I like I like hops. You know, I started tuning into the fact that I liked a hoppier, you know, pale ale or, or IPA. And so from there, you know, it was the whole IPA thing, as we know, exploded, right. And everybody was doing IPAs and who kind of went down that, of course, you know, traveling up to Seattle, you know, Portland, certainly in Southern California. And, and you know, then it all, you know, Colorado and, then all the way across the country, the IPAs became, the craze happened. Loved those. But then, you know, after a while, as you know, too many IPAs, you got to take a break. I mean, it's just, there's 7 8%. ABA. Tough on the
0: palate you know, tough on the
1: palate. Yeah. So, so they're really strong. And if, you know, it's a really hot day and you want to crush some beers, you can't be crushing those all, you know, in the afternoon, you're going to be, you know, you're going to pass out. It's just, just really strong. And like you said, tough on the, it's really, they're dense, higher calorie, right? It's just a heavier drinking experience, which can be cool. But, you know, we started realizing, okay, well, I like other things. I like a great, you know, lager, a crisp Pilsner, you know, where the hop malt balances, is just right, you know, started tuning into that, you know, stouts, a really great Guinness on tap. You know, you can't beat that. We spent time in Dublin, you know, when we went to the, the Guinness factory in Dublin and getting a great Guinness, is a whole other experience, right? was spending time in Brussels, and, and drinking Belgian ales, like, you know, talk about 180, you know, doesn't taste anything like, you know, a stout, doesn't take anything like a Guinness, doesn't really taste anything like a Bitburger Pilsner, right? You know, so, so all these different styles, I started realizing that when they're done well, they all have their place and they're all tasty.
0: Yeah, kind of like music, right? I mean, there's so many diverse options for everybody. So we're going back to the hot pan. Favorite craft beer or beer style, or is there a craft brewery you're like, when I'm in this country, I gotta make sure I go to?
1: Okay, so I I would say that right now it changes, but I would say that a really well-brewed German-style Pilsner is at the top right now. And there's a place in Germany, and it's actually, it's a pretty big company, it's called Augustina. And in Munich, where the whole beer garden tradition is so rich you know it's all about these beer gardens uh you're hanging outside it's a beautiful setting you know they're they're bringing the huge (laughs) leader glasses to you Oktoberfest style there's a place called Augustiner, and there's several of them in munich and that's a place that i've spent some really great time at and a really well-brewed crisp pilsner is the winner
0: all right. Well, let me ask you this next question. So outside of like Germany and Ireland and the US, do you have like a favorite, like sneaky country that you're like, this is a great place to drink beer in? I mean, obviously German's got, you know, Germany's got that kind of vibe, but is there another little country? Because you guys travel to a lot of foreign places. Do you have a favorite? Like, boy, this is a sleeper.
1: Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned Belgium. I mentioned Brussels. So I guess I couldn't really call that a sleeper because Belgian nails are pretty well known. If I if I didn't say Brussels, I'd say where else would I say? Yeah, I mean, you know, really, it's hard to beat Germany. It's hard to beat Belgium. It's hard to beat the States for craft beer. You know, I'm I'm sort of at a loss. I think those are, those are the top three right there. Okay, oh, yeah. well, I course, didn't know if like, you'd, you didn't know if that. you'd
0: sneak in Czech Republic or anything like that.
1: I just said the U.S. and I said um, Belgium and I said Germany, but of course you, you also mentioned so we, we got to say we have to say Ireland for the Guinness. But also we gotta say England, too, because the, the ale like getting a great bitter ale, you know, there or a cask ale. We haven't even gone into cask ales where they're, they're fermented in the casks. That's a rich tradition that they do in England and sort of like something that's kind of a lost art that doesn't really happen that much. So there's a the original Budweiser is actually from the Czech Republic. So if you get a Budweiser that they do in Prague, that's a whole other Budweiser experience that you want to take part in you know
0: that, well that's do you history. want to throw the whole Kevin Bacon you know six steps away I worked for Anheuser-Busch for 13 years before I came to EB Maori. and I had the brand before I moved to Stella Artois and Michelob Ultra I had Czechvar which is known as Budvar it's Bujaviki Budvar so oh. and, and for a long time Anheuser-Busch had a dispute with them over the name Budweiser so oh. there is the Budweiser from Bujaviki Budvar, there's Anheuser-Busch's Budweiser, and then there's a third Budweiser in that local area as well that's hidden that's actually pretty good beer. I've had all three, not on the same day, but within a couple of days of each other. Pretty interesting.
1: So the Budvar and then a the third one that's also in Prague?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's in the Czech Republic that's also known as a Budweiser. Yeah, so there's wow. there's three different ones, but you can buy that beer that's called Boudvar over there. It's called Czechvar here in the U.S. You can find it in, in liquor stores. So here's our third question. If you could be a brewer for a day, would you do it? Or have you ever had that opportunity?
1: We... So, yes, I would absolutely do it. I would need some serious training and some serious guidance because I have never brewed beer solo. I do have a little kit here that I haven't started yet. I want to do at some point for for an IPA, a little brewing kit. I haven't ventured into it yet. But, yes, I would absolutely do it. And we, you know... In Germany, at one point, we did a VIB, and they did let us participate a little in the process, and it was really fun. Just sort of, I I think Bruce actually did add some hops to the kettle. It's a fascinating process, and through these VIB events that we've done at breweries, and actually, and incidentally, we're going to be doing more of them this year, hopefully. There's some loose dates that are being thrown around, but in, in some of these great breweries, we've had a chance, you know, with the head brewers, they take us back and show us their whole process. and all that's involved i mean it's you know it's science it really is and there's a lot of things that have to be done right there's a lot of cleanliness that has to be adhered to you know the really keeping everything clean is is essential for the process for a really good fresh beer that's that's un, you know that's untainted that's very pure you know so so we've learned a lot being back there and watching them do it and talking to these brewers it's it's definitely fascinating
0: so tell us a little, for somebody listening in, they're like, okay, this VIP thing sounds cool. How do you, how do you find out about it? What can people expect when they get a chance to see you and Bruce in an event? Is there, is there more than beer? Is there a little bit of music or is there a Q and A, all that kind of stuff?
1: There's all the above. It's usually takes place. So when we're on tour, if we have a night off and we're going to be in one place, we're not <laughs> traveling, we're not moving around. We will set up with at a brewery at a local brewery and Bruce and I along with Luis Maldonado who's our newest member who also plays guitar and is a fantastic singer who's actually able to sing (laughs) 400 songs in their original keys which is not something that I can do but we so we've added him and it's the three of us and we set up and we do sort of a, a kind of shorter set unplugged Acoustic set of foreigner tunes. We get some nice three-part harmony going. And We do a set of that, and then sometimes there will be a little Q and A. There'll be some pictures, whatever signings that people bring—t-shirts or drumsticks or whatever merch or things they need signed. We do that. Even Vota. a
0: guitar, right? Even a guitar oh. if they can find. Them. Especially a guitar. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, Yes, yeah, so we'll do that. We'll do a set. We'll showcase. We'll talk. You know, if we're lucky, we'll have the head brewer there or somebody that's real beer knowledgeable. And we can briefly discuss some of the beers that are being showcased at the brewery. Those will be passed around and they bring them to us and, you know, we'll taste them and talk about some of the beers briefly. We'll do that, I set said set of music, and then usually just hang out and, you know, mix and mingle with the fans there and, you know, talk music and beer. And it's a really
0: fun time. That's great. You know, and journalism we tech about burying the headline. And and part of the headline here is part of the reason that we wanted to talk beer with you is because our sister company, AB Biotech. So we're AB Maori, we're in baking ingredients, we're Fleischmann's yeast, and a lot of people know us from there. But our roots as a company go back more than 150 years into distilling and, in and brewing and winemaking, And so part of the reason is we're launching some new beer yeast strains, an American ale an English ale and a pilsner as we get into a spring timeframe, just in time for the craft brewers conference, which is the biggest beer conference in North America. And that's gonna kick off in May in Nashville. So that's kind of the whole reason we're talking beer a little bit. I don't know if you've ever been to that show, but boy, I, I tell you what, for a guy like you and Bruce and, and now Luis, the three beer guys, not the three tenors, you would probably have a blast at a show like this.
1: Oh man, I'm you know, i going to bring it up with Bruce and I know you've mentioned it and that sounds fantastic, but if I can fit that in, I would love to do that. It's always great to get to, it's a great excuse to get to Nashville and we get to hang out and that's that sounds like a
0: blast. So more news coming soon from the AB Biotech crew and our, our brewing team. So we're excited about that. Hey, one thing, we're let's take a quick step uh, to the side here. We do have an email address. If somebody listening has a comment or an interesting question for us, you you can send it to TheOvenLight at abmaori.com. So we love communication. Again, TheOvenLight at abmaori.com. And Michael has generously donated or, you know, AB Maori will take care of it. We, we're we're going to give away a couple of tickets, which is pretty exciting. You've got a, a long tour of, what, four or five months there. What kind of question? How about this question? You got to tell me if this works, if it's too too difficult. But And you can do a little bit of searching online to find out. So th- the band's name is Foreigner, and there's a really interesting story. And you talked about why it's called Foreigner. Warner. But there was a name of the band beforehand, which shared the name with another band. If you can send us a note with the name of that band, we'll we'll take care of you for a couple of tickets to one of the uh, tour stops. How's that sound, Michael? Does that sound fair? That's okay. And that's a good,
1: that's a tricky question that I think I'll, is probably going to elude a lot of people. So I'd be really curious. I'd be really fascinated to see if anybody can come up with that.
0: That'll be pretty cool. So hopefully we get something good there. So any other factoids or anything? I mean, you're—I don't know how you prep for a tour like this, but you know, you you go from a time where you can kind of unwind, regather your breath, and now you're you're going to get an Ascar. They call it silly season. I don't, I don't know what it's called—a music season. But you got to get ready. You're 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 almost you're in spring training right now, but it's almost uh, regular season, right?
1: Yeah, we start out. I mean, it's actually it's a good way to go. You know, later in March, it will be here a month from now already less than a month we're starting out in vegas we have a residency at the venetian in vegas which has been an annual thing now for three years so we have eight dates in vegas and that's kind of you you know you you're but that's a good way to ease into it because when you do a residency you know as the name implies we're not Go, we're not going
0: anywhere so, so as Michael alluded to you can you can hop on foreigneronline.com check that out the residency runs March 24th through April 8th at the Venetian so that's a great opportunity again this is the kind of the last hurrah the historic farewell tour uh, you never know where things are going to take you and the rest of the yeah. the band but an exciting summer for sure uh, any other opportunities for for Michael or for people to kind of stay tuned on what you're doing besides foreigner and Tina Blue you know what we what do we expect from Michael, you know, Bluestein in the future?
1: Well, I, I think that the foreigner thing is going to be center stage for at least another couple of years. You know, it, as we, as you said, wrap up this farewell thing. That takes a lot of time. I mean, we're talking, you know, ninety to one hundred shows a year for the next two years. So that that's mostly what I'll be doing. But I'll be doing Tina, and I will get our our little duo Tina Blue gigs when we can locally. Uh, I have actually a fun role jazzy soul funk trio that i play keys keyboards in called tugboat uh, I'll be doing some of that. That's we play at the same place here at uh, here and now in downtown LA. And I'll be doing some of that. you Can follow my projects on Music.com and also Instagram. My handle is Wonderland. That's wonderland on Instagram. You can follow all the stuff I'm doing there. And uh yeah, just just gonna stay busy and <laughs> keep doing music because it's a blessing.
0: Well, hey, we we appreciate the talk about baking a little bit about beer and and obviously music, Michael. It's it's good to know you and for the- the folks out there listening in on the oven light for now the switch is off and we look forward to seeing you next time right on rick this has been great we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the oven light until next time when we discuss more about the wonderful world of baking technology trends and more the switch is officially off goodbye for now see you next time